Welcome to Yoga Chit Chat. I am Phoebe Schiff, yoga teacher, writer, and New Portland resident. And I'm Tarek Morinaga, yoga teacher, indoor climber, and Marvel superhero geek. Every week we meet virtually for an informal discussion on a common yoga philosophy principle, teaching, or theme. Today's topic is Ananda, the Sanskrit word for bliss. Let's kick it off, Carrick, with your definition of Ananda. In the simplest terms, just as you said, Ananda, we translate as bliss. Sometimes we'll translate it as joy. It's a common theme. It's one of the characteristics of the divine in tantric philosophy. The divine energy, the one spirit, one of the characteristics is Ananda. Then so too as microcosms of the macrocosm, we also have the capacity for Ananda, for bliss, for this pure joy. And in our style of yoga, Anusara, there are two intentions for practicing. One of them is Ananda, and then the other one is Chit, which means consciousness. And the idea is that we come to our mats to embody and celebrate these two intentions of consciousness and bliss. There are many different ways of defining Ananda. And as Karak and I have, have chatted about it, there are a lot of different ways we can interpret and apply it to things that we experience on and off the mat. So one of the things that I think about quite often is why is Ananda one of the characteristics of the divine? It sounds really great and I feel like maybe someone just chose Ananda hundreds of years ago. Someone chose Ananda as a marketing ploy. Let's create this thing, this system of practice, and we'll, we'll state overtly that the practice brings Ananda. Everybody will want that, so let's just do that. Because nobody would do yoga if the two highest intentions were consciousness and sadness. Nobody would do it. Nobody would want to, to practice yoga. So why, why then Ananda? I want to read a short passage from Tantra Illuminated, which is a text by Christopher D. Wallace. He's a tantric philosopher. And it sort of gives an explanation for why Ananda is part of the divine or is a characteristic of the divine. The universe is said to be a divine play, not in the sense that it is always fun, but rather in the strict sense of the word play. That is, anything done for its own sake rather than for an after-the-fact result. And it is a play in another sense in that there exists the possibility for joy in any and every experience, though some yield up that potential more easily than others. By joy here, I do not mean extreme happiness, but rather a kind of loving acceptance of any given present moment reality. The heart has an innate capacity to grant a deep affirmation of whatever is going on in this moment, to envelop the whole of each experience in loving awareness, even experiences that the mind despises. When it exercises that capacity, it is called Ananda. And I really like that passage um, because it gives an explanation for why Ananda is a big part of our practice, why it exists, why it 
is a characteristic of the one spirit. The one spirit creates and delights in her own creation. There is joy in that creation. It's less to do with extreme happiness and more to do with the delight and acceptance of every moment of, of everything that's being created and everything that is being experienced by the one spirit herself. And also what I'm hearing from that is that it's true delight and reverence in the creation process versus the actual creation. And we talk about this in yoga all the time. Love the process, you know, breathe into the journey. And, and over and over again, we hear this idea and Ananda comes from the, the true delight and love and reverence for the creation process versus any manifestations that come from that creative process. One example that I have, and like all metaphors, it won't completely or perfectly encapsulate Ananda, but it's, it's sort of an example. So you mentioned creation and the universe creates and enjoys and delights in all of her creations, and that's Ananda. It's similar to a mother who has a child, and that newborn, her own creation, is a source of delight. And it, it really doesn't matter what that newborn is doing. The newborn could be eating, sleeping, pooping, spitting up, crying, smiling, or making little gurgling sounds. And all of those things are new, and wonderful experiences for the new mother. And she delights and enjoys and finds bliss in all of those experiences, in everything that the child does. That bliss is not governed by what the actual activity is. Right, well, and then what I interpret from that, coming back to our maps for a second, is that same bliss in your yoga practice, no matter what happens, whether you are really feeling strong and you feel like you're killing a pose or you're falling out of one, it's the delight in the creation of each pose, even if one is good and one isn't so great and you fall out of another and you hit someone in the face in the next. So Ananda is that Really, I just keep coming back to the word reverence for the whole process, no matter what happens intermittently and with complete detachment from anything that it will bring you. So detachment from the result and simply delight in the process itself. The phrase that we'll hear or the truism that we'll often hear is it's about the journey, not the destination. Right. And that means that Ananda can start from the moment you decide you're going to go to a yoga class to the process of parking and checking in and rolling out your mat. And of course, this is where we tend to slip in our practice because many times we are late and rushing and trying to feed the meter and hoping that the doors aren't going to close. I'm speaking anecdotally. <laughs> and when we remember Ananda, when we are in a state of bliss, then that whole process can be just as, as rewarding and, and delightful as everything that happens on your mat. 
because ultimately it's coming from within and it's not, it's, it's really joy without condition, without the condition of how well you do in a pose or whether you get a good spot in the studio or, or anything like that. So what creates Ananda? How do we get to that state? Is it a state? Is it a state of being or is it somehow a byproduct of something that we do? How do we as yoga teachers and as yoga students experience bliss? And how do we know when we're experiencing bliss? For me, I, as I was reading over some texts leading up to our conversation, a passage that really stood out to me was one that described Ananda as the delight of creative expression. I I guess my question that I'm still kind of untangling is, do we create Ananda or do we remember Ananda? And my sense is that we, we remember it when we are creating from a place of freedom. So that was a big thing that stood out to me was Ananda comes from the freedom of being. So when we are creating something from a place of freedom and we can contrast that from a place of, of doership or necessity or the illusion of obligation, there is, it's, it's a much different energy versus create. And to take it once again to the yoga mat, you can create a yoga pose and in your head be thinking, okay, well, I need to do this yoga pose because I want my shins to be more toned and I want to get ready for handstand and I want to look really cool to everyone in class. Or you can do the exact same pose with this feeling of freedom. Like there is nothing else in the world I'd rather be doing than warrior two. So let me continue to deepen into it and breathe and experience it. So I think my interpretation is that we remember Ananda through the freedom of creative expression of yoga or really anything in life. The things that really bring us Ananda are things like yoga or writing or painting or dancing or doing these things that don't have any further outcome to be achieved beyond the the reverence and delight in the process. Does that make sense to you? Yes. Okay. So the bliss is, it's in us already. And then through the creative process, we remember the bliss or we realize the bliss. We often forget that we, that bliss is our essential nature because we're worried about the externals. We're worried about the things that are stressing us out, our bills, the job that we didn't get, the day-to-day stress of life. And we forget that we have this blissful nature inside, but through the creative process, whether it's doing a handstand or creating music or creating art or whatever your creativity, wherever your creativity lies, within that process, you have the opportunity to remember your essential nature, that essential nature of bliss. So that bliss is already in us. We're creating conditions to remember it or bring it out. Right. And yoga is really, yoga asana is really a practice of then bringing that into our lives. And what's challenging is that we often 
we don't breathe during the creative process so many so much of the time if you're if you're starting or running a business you're so focused on you know your first financial milestone or some type of 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 accolade versus breathing into and finding reverence in the day-to-day of opening your computer and brainstorming and that sort of thing same thing with uh i would imagine with a painter i know artists who are they're just not breathing and, and enjoying the actual process of mixing the paints and, and the whole experience of it. And so we often feel so disconnected from Ananda because we aren't present during the creative process. And Ananda is really that that presence and delight from the creative process. So ultimately, when we are looking for bliss and delight in material outcomes, it's really hard to find. And this is why we struggle sometimes. But it's a human thing. We, we all do it. <laughs> there was a, another little passage about Ananda that really stood out to me. And we chatted a little bit about this before. And it said, the pleasures of life are slowed vibratory forms of Ananda. So I want to chop this up a little bit with you. The pleasures of life are slowed vibratory forms of Ananda. So anything that brings us joy in this life is a, a, a sort of contraction of Ananda. And it can be dancing, it can be a yoga pose, it can be seeing your newborn laugh for the first time. And the reason why it's a slowed vibratory form is because the highest form of Ananda is is transcendence. It's transcending the the human form really and and moving on into a frequency so high that we as humans can't perceive it which is the the ideal in some schools of philosophy but anusara which is based on tantric philosophy is is very much about enjoying and delighting in in the bliss of this form and so we experience ananda from the slow vibratory forms of, of little things. And it can even be material things. It can be a crystal. It can be a note someone gives you. But these are all these little sort of micro manifestations of this all-encompassing, huge, transcendent experience of ananda. Is that, does that resonate with you at all? As yoga teachers, our highest intentions are consciousness and bliss for our students and it would be lovely if every time we could get them to connect to their highest selves and experience an innate bliss that comes only from inside but the reality is is that sometimes we just want them to feel good we just want their shoulders to feel a little bit better or their hamstrings to feel a little bit more open and that good feeling in the body is just a a smaller a contracted form of Ananda. And mm. we offer Ananda in its different vibratory forms. And so maybe we could think of feeling good in your body, lengthening your low back, opening your heart as slower vibrations, more dense forms of Ananda. And then maybe if it's something that's triggered in your head, something that you remember you have a a realization on your mat about who you are on the deepest level, then that's this mental realization, this mental happiness. And that's maybe a little bit higher vibration than feeling your low back feel better. 
so we can think of Ananda on all of these different levels and they're all offerings and all manifestations of the divine vibrating through us and being expressed through us, Ananda being expressed body, mind, even our emotions, we can think of as different levels of Ananda, different vibratory levels of Ananda. So I love that. It's it's great because we're not always going to experience the most sublime form of bliss. Right. I love that. I really do because it it helps us, especially if you're going through a hard time, maybe the only vibratory form of Ananda you can manage during a really hard time in your life is just making a really awesome breakfast. And that's, you know, that's about all you can get. But but that is still a, a contracted form of Ananda. And then I'm thinking of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which has, and you can also think of the, the chakra system as, the, as we ascend up. And so then, okay, you know, you're fed and then you can move up to, to other things like you know, cleaning and bringing little pockets of Ananda into your space. And then you can rise up through the different levels. And then maybe you experience Ananda as the the higher levels of self-actualization and introspection and, and that sort of thing. But ultimately, if we can, if we can just work on those little micro manifestations of Ananda daily. Again, even if it's if it's making yourself a good breakfast or just making a little bit more space in your low back, if that's the best you can do, then that's still connecting with our true nature of bliss in creation, in creating something from a place of freedom versus obligation. So this is contrasted, like I said before, with the illusion, um, which we refer to as Maya and the universe, the Supreme has this ability to cloak its, its infinite quality. And, um, and this is what we call Maya. So Maya is the, the illusion of separation. And when we experience that Maya can then contract into things, uh, like something called karma mala, which is, I mentioned before doership or distress about not being able to truly create from the heart. And this is why we feel stressed at work a lot of times or why we feel stressed in relationships or, or really any time that we are feeling forced to create something and we don't enjoy the process. And so that to me is the the polar opposite of Ananda. It's, it's this, again, the veil making us feel obligated or, or not free. And then that's when we start to feel separate from, from Supreme Being. In that play of the veil concealing, it implies to me a revelation. So that same mala that cloaks our creativity, our ability to create and create that sense of doership. Also, when the cloak is lifted, then there's this sudden revelation that uh, we do have agency to create, that we have this power of creation. Part of the delight is is the realizations. In order to have those revelations, we have to first be cloaked. 
they have to be hidden from us. The, the truth is hidden from us for a moment, sometimes for a long moment, and then the veil is lifted and all is revealed and we have this moment of joy, of bliss, as we discover the truth, as we uh, reveal the truth. It's, in some ways, it's a giant game of hide and seek or peekaboo, like like hiding from a baby and then popping up and the baby sees you again and is just tickled with joy because you disappeared and suddenly you magically reappeared. And that reappearance is the realization that you have to hide yourself again and you go away and the baby wonders where you went or has maybe just lost some of that joy, but then you pop up again and then there's another moment of revelation. So there's this pulsation of concealment and revelation that's tied very deeply to Ananda that or is, can be. That's one of my, there's a passage um, in an Alan Watts book I love where he says, we're constantly playing hide and seek with the divine, which I love. And I think it's important to note because sometimes as, as yogis, will feel frustrated that we we haven't always you know been felt our divine nature and you know we'll look back at at moments and feel like oh well like if only i'd i'd known what i know now and i think one of the biggest shifts in my consciousness and and sort of looking back on things is to really appreciate the times when I, when my experience was cloaked and I couldn't see my connection. And because then that moment of remembrance, that moment of revelation is so sweet and so blissful. And, and so to, to kind of ground it in, you know, our daily tasks and experiences as humans, again, being at work, being at odds with someone, these are moments of, uh, and you know, some people love what they do and some people don't love what they do. And here's the thing, you can experience Ananda working for someone else. It's, it's all about whether what you're doing is coming from the heart. If you really love who you're working for and what you're creating, then that's Ananda. However, if you don't, and you're still doing it from a place of obligation, then that's when you start to feel disconnected. But this idea of playing hide and seek with Ananda is really beautiful because if we were just always completely connected with the divine and we were always living in our supreme nature, then we wouldn't appreciate it. We would take it for granted. And so Maya to me is this really beautiful reminder that we need rainy days to appreciate the sunny ones and and vice versa and that's what makes this experience so so textured what are um what are some of the ways that this kind of plays into your yoga practice or experiences that you have in some ways ananda i think of ananda as sort of a measure of the practice not that we always have to be in the state of Ananda as quote unquote good yogis. Like you said, we're going to have bad days. We're going to have times where we're cloaked, where the truth is really far from us, really hidden from us. We're going to have dark times. 
But the good thing is that we know that there's going to be things will shift again and we'll be back in that more blissful state at another time. So there will be these ups and downs. But we realize that it's a cycle, that there's a pulsation and that things will be revealed again. However, I do think that Ananda, we can look at Ananda as a measure of the practice. On the, at the highest level, Ananda is this joy that comes from within and less from external circumstance. And so if we're measuring our practice, how well are we doing at yoga, at meditation, at pranayama? We should have more and more moments of being connected to our highest selves. And when we're connected to our highest selves, that's really the source of bliss. It often puzzles me how yoga students who are have amazing external practices, they can do anything on the mat, handstands and backbends, and they've obviously practiced for years and years and years and refined their physical asana practice, but then they're just the worst people. <laughs> they're just angry at the world and yeah. unhappy and complain about everything and in my mind, I would never say this to the student, but in my mind, I'm thinking, how has yoga helped you? Yes, you can do a great handstand, but how has it helped you to connect to your deepest self and find joy within? Are you only finding joy from the externals and, and really deep inside you're unhappy? Then to me, that's not the most refined or the best yoga practice. The best yoga practice doesn't have to be the most physically amazing practice, but I think the best yoga practice is someone who can more easily connect to the divine, can more easily connect to their deepest selves, and then as a result has this internal bliss. This brings up a really important point, which is that Ananda isn't necessarily material and and yoga poses can they they have the opportunity to be the byproduct of a feeling of ananda inside and in the same way that a gift that you buy for someone can be a byproduct of the joy that you feel for their friendship but also it it can be the total opposite. You can be really good at yoga and be completely dead inside. You can buy someone, and this is something that comes up a lot in our culture. I'm thinking of a documentary on minimalism I just watched. We can buy someone a really nice gift and hate their guts. And, and this is why Ananda is such an important concept because while it can contract into the vibe, the slower vibratory forms of a crystal or a latte for someone. The the crystal or latte is not innately ananda without it being an extension from your heart. Mm-hmm. And and that's what's really important and what makes me really contemplate material things. And it, it the material things then just become so irrelevant if you aren't taking the time to think and consider, is this coming from a place of, of reverence or am I trying to use the thing 
to, am I trying to use the thing to create something that's not there, which we can do on our maps as well. So it's, it, it has, again, yeah, these things can be a byproduct, but they are not necessarily an extension of it unless it's coming from our hearts. There is also the, we talked a little bit about spontaneity as an aspect of Ananda. And we were, we were talking about it in the context of like singing a song. And there is great bliss and joy to be had from spontaneous creative expression. And ultimately this comes again from the, the virtue of freedom being a part of Ananda. So when you are just feeling really, really happy and you burst out into song, then you are experiencing Ananda in the same way that if you're feeling really happy and you are just dancing in the streets, then that is an extension of, of Ananda. And because it's, it's spontaneous, it doesn't need to be planned. There doesn't need to be a condition or an outcome or anything like that. So the, and, and when you think about it, it's, it's really just the, the microcosmic idea of the universe because the universe is spontaneous. One day it wasn't here, and then one day it was in the same way that in one moment I can be just, you know, chatting with you and plodding along, and then I can be singing in delight, although you'd never want to hear me sing in delight. <laughs> um, so I think that's an, another aspect of it, and and that makes sense. You know, we we all want the, I think sometimes when we when we suffer the most, when we're feeling the darkest is when we don't have the capacity to be spontaneous. So it's another aspect of it. Are there other aspects of Ananda that we haven't touched on? I think that that's, those are the main things that we talked about. Ananda, just to sort of recap, is from our human perspectives, the higher vibration of Ananda is Ananda that comes from deep inside. So it's that spontaneous singing in, as opposed to being happy because you're hearing your favorite song. Being happy because you're hearing your favorite song is also Ananda, but just in a, a lower vibrational state. So we can think of Ananda on this spectrum of high vibration to low vibration. And really, when we're talking about Ananda, ultimately, we're seeking the highest vibration, the most subtle, most sublime, the most internal, creative, spontaneous expression. And it would be lovely if we could experience that all the time. But the reality is that we experience life in the lower vibration of our bodies, uh, our minds and our emotions. So the way that we'll connect to Ananda is through some of the lower vibrational experiences of bliss. Hearing your favorite song on the radio, uh, delighting in your favorite latte, doing your favorite yoga pose and sticking that handstand and it feels amazing. Things like that. So to to kind of wrap this up into a message to take 
onto your yoga mat and into your life. We don't all need to be meditating on a cliff and trying to transform to experience Ananda. Of course, the, the truest form is Ananda is transcendence from this form. But in our in, in tantric philosophy, we are here to experience the slower vibratory forms of Ananda. And those are, are different and similar for each of us. So whether you're having the best day of your life or you're having one of the worst, we encourage you to always be looking for and remembering Ananda, whether it be, you know, just taking a second to wiggle your toes or doing something much bigger. This is this is our true nature and it's why doing things from this place, from our hearts, feels so good and helps us remember ultimately who we really are. Thanks, Phoebe. I really enjoy these little chats. They, the creative back and forth and the exchange of ideas is really a creative process for me. And Ananda springs from our little chit chat. So I hope we continue these for a long time. Likewise. Thanks, Phoebe. I'll see you next week. We'll see you next time.